Hello and welcome to episode 127 of the NFL Scotland podcast. Week 13 is done. This is absolutely the business end of the season. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And we'd like to start by congratulating the New York Jets on their fantastic... Oh, hang on. It all went horribly wrong again. Welcome to the NFL Scotland podcast. That might be the first time you've ever not introduced yourself, and that's not like you to get your name in. Well, I, you know, usually every opportunity, <laughs> yes. I should say, yes, good evening. I'm Paul Mitchell. How about that? I, I tell sort you. Of news voice. If people don't know by now, then we've been doing something wrong. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. <laughs> and joining us for episode 127 with a, a glass of Chardonnay in his hand. And it's only 10 a.m. No, it's not. Don't worry about it. It's much later than that. It's 11. Um, please welcome Charles Patterson. Greetings, peasants. How are we? <laughs> <laughs> Four, four glasses in. This is going to be good. This, oh, dear. Thank God yeah, the actually, Packers I'll won. I'll tell you right now, I have abandoned my Christmas card writing, my present wrapping, um, and all the menial jobs that you do two weeks out from Christmas to jump on here and lob grenades at various incompetent <laughs> NFL teams. So you should be blessed at my presence because this is going to liven it up. Right, what we're going to do this week is we are going to kick off... Uh, we did this a couple of weeks ago and thought it worked pretty well. We're going to kick the whole thing off with the award nominations. Get some of the thoughts from the people that regularly interact with us on Twitter. Uh, and and we'll, use that on a, uh, uh, we'll use that as a basis upon which we can build our conversation and Charles can lob grenades, as he said. So we'll do this in the usual order. We'll kick off with the Belter, we'll move on to the bowfing, and then we'll finish off with the ball bags. Um, I think I might be able to predict who might be involved in this this week. <laughs> a certain person who's now looking for a new job. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert, you're going to hear that name a lot. Uh, funnily enough, it appears against all three of the award nominations, which is quite something. So let's get on with things. So Sean Black, first of all, he is up with his belter, is the Washington football team. With so he's actually put it as the WFT with the WTF win, um, which absolutely the Washington football team were the ones to end the Steelers' runs. We thought about asking Gordon McGuinness on, but we couldn't handle his smugness, to be perfectly honest on this. There's only so much. We can take a drunk Charles, but a smug Gordon, we have to save that for another week. Ross Black, though, straight in belter. Greg Williams, great way to secure your exit from an awful organization while helping them in their process. Tanking for Trev. Belter from Chris Breen is Baker Mayfield. There's something I didn't think I would say. Belter from Shawnee B is Greg Williams, keeping the Jets in the number one draft spot. Belter from Kenny the Kill is Miami Dolphins coach Brian Flores, dragged off the field for sticking up for his players. Um, Going to stop there right away because I thought this was fascinating. This match between the Dolphins and the Bengals was unpredictably tetchy. It was feisty. There was ejected players. There was a mass brawl. There was an amazing photo as well where pretty much every single player from both benches was on the field apart from the entire Bengals offensive line which was sitting on the bench to which someone highlighted saying the Bengals O-line doing what they usually do protecting absolutely nobody which I thought was a great <laughs> tweet in there as well so but that's that's what you want to see every now and then a bit of, a bit of feistiness now there was a, a couple of ejections in there that felt a bit soft maybe there wasn't a huge amount in it but it just seemed to, it kept escalating and Brian Flores uh I don't know how you guys feel on this head coach getting right in amongst the middle of it is that what you want to see from your head coach or do you think the head coach should be the person to restrain and try and defuse the situation I think you've got to lead from the front. Show that you are the figurehead of the team and the team are clearly pissed. I don't think there's any question about it. I think he did say in the wake of it that he regretted um, letting his frustrations boil to the surface with regards to the incident. But he has proved he's a great coach. He's proved that all his players are behind him uh, in terms of what he's doing. And I think given that the incident is a bit of a freak and a bit of a one-off, I don't think that was a problem. Uh, you could argue that, yeah, he should have been the bigger man. But at the end of the day, he's got everybody on side in Miami. And I think ultimately it's a, it's a good thing from his perspective that he, he everyone's buying into his plans. I think you've got to read the room. And in that case, I thought he did it absolutely right we don't see it too often you see this a lot in baseball managers you know coming out getting involved 
getting ejected, coming to the defence of their players, but it's usually done tactically, um, you know, to try and lift your team or show that you're for them. You know, it's, it's sometimes in baseball it can be a very thoughtful thing. And I think in this case, you read the room, if he'd come onto the field like an absolute raven lunatic and had been the heart of it was, was causing it, then you would be highly embarrassed. But I thought he read the room perfectly. I thought he... He did act with a certain amount of restraint as well. I mean, he didn't come out all guns blazing. So I, I think there's a lot to be said. Now, Miami have had their best start since 2003. I think he takes an awful lot of credit, and I think he's taken them, that team with him, as Charles points out. And, you know, they could get a wee boost from this. The important thing is, though, they went on and won the game. That was key as well. Yeah, eight and four Dolphins, um, you know, Maybe a little bit closer against the Bengals. I think two has still got a long way to go. But I, I think you guys are both right on this. I think what he did was he came out, he was very much, he was very visible on the front there without being a, a crazed maniac. He wasn't throwing punches or anything like that. He was just absolute, he was gesticulating the right amount that he needs to do to let his guys know that he's got their back. And now in the future, he doesn't need to do that again. I guess where you watch is the next situation where this comes up. Is he front and centre again? Or does he now feel like, do you know what? I've shown them I've got their back. I'll let them sort this out and I can step in if it gets really silly. Um, that's, that's made me think, which head coach in a, a similar situation would go in and throw punches? Yeah. Come on, there must be one out there in the league that is daft enough or slightly deranged enough that would just lamp somebody he would if it was Belichick on the opposite sidelines and I think I think he'd be slow to start but you'd love to see Andy Reid when he got going wouldn't you oh yeah <laughs> oh wow that would be fantastic uh Bruce Arians I reckon would get stuck in as well I don't think Arians would hold back too much I don't think Sean Payton would hold back but I think that um that's a John really Gruden. fascinating John question. Gruden for me he's yeah. slightly He's slightly off the wall. Yeah, Gruden would be... I think Cliff Kingsbury's got that in him. I think that there's a slight... Adam Gase, of course, is probably looking for an opportunity to go. Uh, if it was Lev Bell was the guy that was the opportunity for him to go at, I think my money's on Gase, but uh, there's an Cliff, interesting Cliff one. Kingsbury, no, no, Cliff Kingsbury, did, was he not shown at the draft sitting in his house, which overlooked somewhere with a with a fire in the middle? Yeah, Cliff, Cliff would send his assistant in yeah, with actually, a note from him saying, Mr. Kingsbury would like to point out that he's none best pleased with you. Yeah. You know, that that's what Cliffy would do. I think Pete Carroll would be in there, but Pete Carroll would be one of those guys that runs in noises up and then runs away. Um, <laughs> I think though, the, the, the man that you want stepping up for you is Belichick. I tell you, I, I don't think there's any head coaches messing with Belichick if he's in the middle of that. I don't even think Andy Reid's considering that one. I think Belichick's a dark horse in that situation. He's, yeah, he's corralled some big egos in his time. You don't do that without being capable of some nonsense. So, yeah, fascinating question. Let us know on Twitter. Which head coach would you like to have your back if you could have any head coach having your back? Um, fascinating. Right, uh, we'll move on, though. Some other Belter nominations. Um, so, Lauren Callahan actually gives Belter to Gordon McGuinness for capably handling Paul's hosting duties because Paul got a better offer uh, and went somewhere else. Um, Stephen Lynn, he, his belter, and there's a few for this in a, in a row here, uh, Alex Smith, uh, for tying up Comeback Player of the Year. Um, he, uh, sorry, he was going to give it to Alex Smith, but he's actually giving it to Chase Young for the fourth down stop. Paul Murphy then says, Washington win, Alex Smith, Montez Sweat, Chase Young deserve special mention. Ron Rivera is molding a special team. The Polly, he says the NFL Scotland event, special mention to Lorne for his banter moment of the year nomination. I think that had something to do with Jameis Winston. I don't know. Uh, David Old, his belters, Washington for beating the Steelers. And then there's a few, there's a couple of Raiders fans who've given the same award nominations. And against Belter, Bowfin, and Bobag, they have Greg Williams against each. So there you go, out of those two alone. And it's funny that two Raiders, uh, Gavin Newland replies to Alan Martin to say, I've just posted the exact same thing. I promise I didn't copy. Um, but Gavin's a politician, so we know he copied. We know fine well he copied. Um, so, you know, oh, Belter, Bowman and Bobag, all of them, Greg Williams. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna wake up to a nasty tweet from Gavin, I'm sure, when he hears that one. So, yeah. Quite right. right, quite right. Who's well, your well, Belter? For, well, for me, I mean, I've, I've been saying for weeks how strong the NFC East is, without any doubt. You know, I mean, that, that's been the narrative that, that we've been going for. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think we've got to give credit to Washington for the superb win, and I think the Alex Smith thing. All credit to the Steelers radio network, by the way, because I listened to the second half of that game and they were quite magnanimous with Alex Smith. I think you've got to also shout out to the Giants. I mean, that was a huge surprise win. Now, I've read somewhere saying it's the biggest upset of the season. Possibly is. I mean, Seattle normally average over 30 points a game. To restrict them to 12, your backup quarterback... Um, you know, and, and well well played to Colt McCoy. You know, that could be his big moment in the NFL. That's what Colt McCoy uh, could be remembered for. Um I'm trying to think. I wrote another couple of a couple of ones down. I mentioned the Dolphins, their best start in, in 17 years, which which I thought was pretty great. Uh, Kevin, St- Kevin Stefanski to get the Browns to reach that milestone. So we've got to talk about Baker Mayfield. He was outstanding in the first half and went away in the second half to shoot some more commercials, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one. The Browns were magnificent. Nine and three. You know, it's not just a not a losing season. It's now officially a winning season for the Browns, which is very impressive. So that, six... uh, game, the game on Monday Night Football this week is going to be good, isn't it? The Browns hosting the Ravens with a chance to block them out of the playoffs yeah absolutely superb i'm sure gordon will be delighted at that situation <laughs> i think he'll be dreading playing them the thing that i thought was really interesting with the browns was how much they fell away though now obviously they were so far ahead there's always going to be a fall away it's rare that you see a team do that and actually other than the patriots doing it to the chargers who were just oh absolutely stinking but we'll come to them in a wee while um it's unusual to see a team race ahead in the first half and then not have the other team catch up. You saw it with the Chiefs' Buccaneers the the week before, and the Chiefs decimated them up front, and then obviously the Buccaneers came back into it. You see it a lot, and you see teams ending up with the comebacks. You saw the Falcons once earlier in the season. It is unusual to go so far ahead so early and then maintain that all the way through. But the Titans definitely made it interesting towards the end. Um, The the, the Titans have got a high-powered offense, Um and no defense to speak of, which is actually, I think you could say the same thing for about half a dozen teams in the league. <laughs> but Cleveland are are flawed, but they are well coached. They are absolutely drilled. There's no doubt about it that Kevin Stefanski has made them much, much better this year. They've been looking for a coach that can be a game day manager for decades. They've not had one since Belichick, yeah. actually. And that has been holding them back as well as the fact they were never able to find a quarterback. And Baker Mayfield is the number one pick. So he's clearly got some talent, but he has been playing within himself this season of that, there's no doubt. And he needed to come out and actually make a big a big game and a big show of it. And if Cleveland are going to do anything, he will have to improve as, as we go down the line into the December and into the playoffs. And he proved it certainly for one week. Whether he can do it again remains to be seen. And who, so who's your belter for the week then, Charles? My belter, well, you know, the Greg Williams thing, I actually had Greg Williams in all three categories as well for many different reasons. <laughs> and I think it's perfectly fair. It's, if you're a New York Jets fan, in 10 years' time, you might be saying, God bless you, Greg Williams. God bless you for you know, give, giving us Trevor Lawrence by uh, cocking up that final play. Um, Josh Allen was outstanding, absolutely outstanding against San Francisco. And has if he plays like that, for the rest of the season, if you place to that level, watch out in the AFC. The other um, belter that I had originally, and we go back way back to the start and the Miami, the Miami Cincinnati game. I want to give the belter to the referee, who had to after the big melee read out this inexhaustible penalty <laughs> count, which lasted fifty nine seconds. Now the question is, did he have a wee earpiece in with someone reading it out? and him repeating it like off an auto cue, or did he memorize it all? Because I think there were nine penalties in there. Various people were flagged, certain people were ejected. And the fact that he was able to stand there with his mic on and say it out to this empty stadium and not stumble or make a arse of it, he deserves a medal. There's absolutely no doubt about it. It's just a shame there was no one in the stadium to watch it. <laughs> But they'll be making a musical out of that because it had all the narratives. So I think there's going to be a musical, certainly a stronger storyline than Hamilton or Wicked. So uh, we'll see where that goes. A stronger storyline than the history of American politics. 
A nonsense. Nonsense. It's a magnificent <laughs> musical. It was worth every penny of the £150 a ticket I paid to see it in London. I will hear nothing against it. It's magnificent. Right. Um, you paid £150 to go and watch the musical? Absolutely. I would have paid, paid, paid more. I paid £161 for wine. <laughs> yeah, well, that musical stays with me for life. <laughs> anyway. I would have paid more. Um, the yeah, so do you know I'm going to call it a couple of players. For me, there's Baker Mayfield's definitely in that conversation. I think Justin Jefferson, another massive game for him. Five games with 100 plus receptions, which is a Minnesota rookie record. Brilliant, absolutely tremendous performance. I think he's in the conversation for uh, rookie of the year. Certainly from an offensive point of view, uh, I, you know he's definitely in the conversations with the quarterbacks because I don't think those quarterbacks have been all upsides. You know, even looking at the Chargers and the performance from Justin Herbert this weekend, not brilliant. So. Uh, but the one I'm going to give it to is Darren Waller. So I think that if that was if that was Kittle, I would be going nuts. You know, 200 receiving yards is huge. Now Kittle, fine. Kittle has had one game better than that, but um, or at least one game. But for that, you know, that's that's a tight end uh, record for the Raiders. And that's a, a team steeped in a lot of history. So, you know, to, to have achieved that is absolutely brilliant. He is, a, he is a much greater asset than I thought he was. He had a great year last year, but I, I we've talked about this loads. I thought they would struggle this year. And actually, Darren Waller has been tremendous. He's a sensational tight end because of his pace, because of his height. There's a lot of chat, you know, he was basically he is a borderline receiver. And he's sensational at it. He's, he's, he's brilliant. And I thought, okay, fine, it's against the Jets. But that performance deserves some credit. Uh, and for me, he gets the belter of the week. Let's move on to Bowfin then. Uh, a few nominations here. So we'll start at the top again. Sean Black, his Bowfin is the Chargers for the umpteenth time this year. But this week was something else. Bowfin from Ross Black was the Philadelphia Eagles again. Bowfin from Chris Breen was the LA Chargers getting utterly dismantled by the Pats, mostly on special teams. Uh, Shawnee B, Bowfin is the Steelers wide receivers dropping passes all over the shop. And really, there was a lot of drops. I think I saw something like 13 dropped passes and the next highest in a single game had been six or something like that. Really, really bad. Um, Bowfin for Kenny the Kill is the New York Jets for throwing away the game in the last second. Now, there's an argument there about whether that's Bowfin or Belter, to be honest, but we'll we'll come to that. Uh, Bowfin for Lorne Callahan is Carson Vents for being benched. Um, Bowfin is Greg Williams, according to Stephen Lynn. And it is the Dallas run defense, which was truly ripped apart by Baltimore, says Paul Murphy. Zerline's kicking was equally poor, and it, it definitely was. Um, Bowfin for Polly is Greg Williams, and he's crazy play calling. Uh, the Seahawks defense says David Old that didn't show up at all in the game. Um, they don't often show up, though, do they? And then again, our Raiders have got Bowfin Greg Williams. So um, who gets your Bowfin award? We'll come to you first, Charles. Uh, oh, there's a few. The Chargers have got to be in there. I like the Chargers. Um, and I like Anthony Lynn, but I think he's a goner now. I think that was that was the end game. Um, you can't have a, an egg against the Patriots. It's not on. Um, Seattle Seahawks were abysmal, appalling, awful whatever you want to call it they, they, they have um, fallen way down the radar um in the last couple of weeks and my weekly bowfin i've got to throw the bears in there because they're the bears and they continue to be completely hopeless they've played the same football since 1982 nothing changes and even when they're 10 points up in the fourth quarter they still lose to the lions um, that's what happens when you play Mitch Trubisky at quarterback. They never learn. So good luck, Bears. Can I give you a stat on the Bears? So the Bears, in terms of having a double-digit lead with under three minutes left to play at home of the previous 123 teams to find themselves in that situation, how many had lost? Yeah, zero. <laughs> 123 and zero. So the Bears, you can always rely on the Bears to get it to, to do what other teams simply can't do. So <laughs> we'll have a bash at the Bears. And again, you know, to be fair to Bears fans, they, they, they were a bit prickly when we said, you know, they're, they're not a very good five and one team. Well, that's been proved right. They've got a quarterback controversy. They've got a coach that could be going out the door. Let's put some meat on those Charger bones as well. So the special teams of the Chargers, I think, are the, the lot to have a go at. 
So twice they had 10 men on the field. Once they had 12 men on the field. So the Chargers themselves never got in the red zone. They gave up a 70-yard touchdown return. They gave up a 61-yard touchdown run. This was after replacing the special teams coordinator who got transferred to a scouting role. I mean, who did they fill it with? You know, I mean, come on. I mean, Greg Williams would look at that job and go, nah, no thanks. You know, it's just truly appalling. Now, I'm not going to defend Greg Williams only in the terms of Greg Williams did what Greg Williams always does. That's his kind of style. Stupid as it was, you could tell that that's roughly what he could do. But the Chargers, that's that's inexplicable. Uh, Bowfin Beth Mowens on the CBS call of the Raiders game. Just no. Um, what else have I got? Yeah, the Chargers. It's it, It's got to be the Chargers for me. That's just horrible football. Yeah. Nice uniforms, horrible football. 45-point defeat, the biggest in franchise history. Yeah. Um, oh, can, I, can I give you one more as well? Now, it, it's not so... Uh, I mean, if you saw the number of times the Ravens were held by the Cowboys to a third down, a third down and eight, a third down and ten, or something like that, and they defended apart from defending Lamar Jackson. Now, if you remember the play where Lamar Jackson goes in for the touchdown... Van Der Esch, the linebacker, instead of breaking to the left, where there's a big hole down the middle, he breaks to the right, where there's hundreds of players, and doesn't bother to go anywhere near Lamar Jackson. If you've not seen the play, it is actually unbelievable. He just picks the wrong direction. I'd love to know what he was looking at. It, that was boofing as well. You do wonder, with that play, and you look at the, the play that Greg Williams drew up, at what point as a player... Do you say, do you know what? This is a really bad play. Why are we about to run this play? Because after the Greg Williams play, we'll be forever known as the Greg Williams play, that all-out blitz. Um, and if the Raiders win the Super Bowl, they'll be sending they'll be sending their medals <laughs> and their Super Bowl rings to, uh, to Greg in the post. There was criticism from some of the Jets players afterwards. We should be, we should have run a better play. Well, hang on a minute. You're a player. You have got your own brain. You have got a little bit of personal responsibility on the field. At what point do you go, no, hang on a minute. An all-out blitz here and leaving the fastest wide receiver in the league out on an island with a rookie cornerback is not a good idea. Actually, why don't we go back here? That These guys are drilled by their coaches. But at some point as a player, you've got to take a bit of personal responsibility. But there's a bit of context as well. The Raiders should have went on the play before. You know, the Raiders actually, when Greg Williams didn't blitz them, should have won it on the play before. So if the, if there's any defence for Greg Williams, and I believe it's just a tiny, tiny defence, he might have thought, shit, look what they just did when I tried to be conservative. So he went for it. Now, it didn't work. It clearly didn't work. But you've got to put the, the thing in context. I'm with you, Charles. I thought it was a dumb play call. And surely, you know, somebody should have said, actually, just ignore him everybody get back. Well, what's the uh, middle linebacker thinking? And Leighton Van Der Esch, if you flick it to the Dallas play uh, with Lamar Jackson waltzing in the end zone, Leighton Van, Van Der Esch is not a dafty. No. He's got to surely take a little bit of, of common sense there and go, oh, hang on a minute. Oh, it's, he's telling me to go right, even though I really shouldn't be going right. But I'll go right anyway because I'm a robot. No, you're not a robot. <laughs> you're an NFL player getting paid millions of pounds. Use your brain. Go and tackle the quarterback yeah. or not. Maybe they're just wanting to get Mike Nolan, the defensive coordinator, sacked, which I think they probably are, to be honest. So, Bowfin, for me, uh, I'm going to give it to the Chargers because it was so bad. Um, and I think that they've shown that they're very capable on offense. Don't get me wrong, the Patriots' D is good, but to do a 45 nothing, and we talked about that before, normally when a team's so far ahead, you get a little bit of something, there was a little bit of nothing. And there was, in fact, there was a lot of nothing. And like you say, just bad play, just horrible, horrible coaching across the board. I think Anthony Lynn will get to the end of the season. I don't expect him to survive it. Um, I don't know that there's enough to, to even see green shoots there to, to justify it. And I think that someone can come in. There's an exciting offense there. There's some great defensive pieces. That's not that's not a franchise that's in a disastrous state. That's a franchise that, with a couple of good coaches, can absolutely be a contender for the for a postseason position. I, I definitely think that. So, so yeah, for me, that's that. I, I've not talked about the Greg Williams one because I'm going to kick off the ball bag by talking about it and give my view on that one. But let's go through the views first of all. 
So Sean Black, his ball bag is the Chargers coaching staff because why not after that? Why leave Herbert in with the backups? Poor boy was getting killed back there. Um, ball bag for Ross Black was Bengals Mike Thomas for his cheap, dirty hit on the fair catch that sparked a bit of a scuffle. A bit of a scuffle. That <laughs> feels like a little bit of an uh, understatement. Um, Chris Breen are the Bengals and Dolphins players who swung punches at guys wearing helmets. It's never a clever move. Uh, Shawnee B are the Bengals player who hit on the clear, fair catch from the Dolphins. Um, Kenny the Kilt is Bengals defensive back Sean Williams for stamping on Dolphins guard Solomon Kindley when he was on the ground. Uh, lots of nominations of Bob Aggery here for the Bengals. Uh, Bob Ag, the Jets for firing the wrong coach, says Lauren Callahan. I'll come to that in a minute. Stephen Lynn, his Bob Ag is Deshaun Watson for not at least landing on the ball after the botch snap. Um, it might be his pocket talking. I think that he had a bet on that one. Uh, Paul Murphy, his Bob Ag is Greg Williams. Who else? Ball bag for Polly. He says, ball bags or should it be handbags for the Bengals and Dolphins players? Uh, ball bag for David Old was Gase. Blamed the whole loss on Williams, yet he is the head coach and hasn't he been as bad this year? That's a valid question. And as we talked about, Alan Morton, Gavin Newlands, ball bag, Greg Williams. So I'm going to kick this one off with my conversation because I think the ball bag award does relate to Greg Williams, but I'm giving it to the Jets, the Jets organization because I think that whole thing, and I, I'm not convinced either of you will be able to persuade me otherwise, that whole final play was absolutely intentionally set up to lose. Uh, that was a play to give the Raiders every possible opportunity to win that game because the Jets want Trevor Lawrence. They want that number one pick. They'll do anything for it. Absolutely. And Greg Williams became the patsy, became the man who suffered, the man that fell on the grenade that, Charles, you said you were going to throw. But he, he fell on it and he was chucked on it by, by the Jets. And Adam Gase remains. Now, the only thing I can think about Adam Gase remaining is that actually the Jets feel that he will lose out for the rest of the year put in another head coach and that head coach is going to try and turn things around and win because he's got to try and show that I'm the next man up here and I deserve to be given that chance. Adam Gase is dwindling to nothing, hopefully. Um, and I genuinely think that Greg Williams has been absolutely thrown on the bonfire with this one. He's He's been set up. He's been stitched up. He did what was right for the organization in the long term. He's not done what's right for himself in the short term. I think that the, the Jets have shafted him. They could have kept him on till the end of the year, but nah. So the Jets get my ball bag award. Are you get honestly getting the violins out for Greg Williams? No, honest no. to God, no, no. Yeah, I I, I understand what you're, you're saying. Defend. I under, I'm not going to defend him because he is. I think he is a ball bag, but um, you know, you only need to go back to the whole bounty gate thing, right. and that never goes away. But um, th yes, he is a ball bag. But I just think that the whole situation stinks to high water and this whole oh uh, it's on the defensive coordinator he absolutely blew that we were desperate to win no they weren't they were desperate to lose and absolutely they've lost that game on purpose there's no other explanation you know, watching that game at the same time that they were up with about a minute to go jacksonville were driving down the field at exactly the same moment and going in front against Minnesota. Yeah. And you're like, what are you so doing, boys? What are you doing? It was, it was a very, it was a weird situation <laughs> watching it on Red Zone. Listen, Greg Williams was always going to get fired. He's just been given Christmas off, let's be honest. Adam <laughs> As Gase a reward. Is get <laughs> Adam Gase is going to be fired. He knows it. Everyone in the Jets organization <laughs> knows it. The rest of the Jets coaching staff are all going to get fired. Sam Darnold's going to get released on January the 5th. Yep. Um, Joe Flacco is going to get binned. They're, the whole place is getting cleaned out. Joe Douglas is the general manager in there. I, I read a piece today that apparently they're sniffing around um, a certain Harbaugh who is, um, who's quite keen to get back into the NFL, who happened to manage <laughs> be in charge of the 49ers yep. not too long ago. Now, listen, the, the Jets, I do not blame them in the slightest if they think that the number one pick in the draft next year is a transcendent quarterback talent that is going to take them to multiple championships. I do not blame them at all because that is the way the draft system works. And that is the way ultimately that the NFL works. It is one of these weird setups, which is essentially this kind of socialist utopia whereby everybody gets a fair crack of the whip. 
um, which is ironic because you've got people like Jerry Jones owning teams. Um, <laughs> but it's that's the way that the system works and they are manipulating the system. They are that crap that they can do that. So I make no, I've got no problem at all with if there is a conspiracy going on, as which you're alleging, and I hope there's nobody from NFL.com listening. Or the, the NFL <laughs> I don't think they're listening to us. I'll you, be you are, you are going to be in hot, deep, deep doo-doo the next time you go, you go anywhere new NH, NFL um, head office. If that's happening and the Jets are doing that in order to get the number one pick, go for it, guys, yeah, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I well, think I, I don't think t- there's any issue with tanking. It's just the, the it's the pretending that they're not, and oh, we have to sack the defensive coordinator because he really blew it for us. It's that <laughs> it's that bit that I'm just like, shut up, boys. Own your outcome. Own the outcome. Just you know what? We're trying things. This is an opportunity to try things that didn't work. There's a positive message, a positive spin. We're 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 doing things differently because we've realised there's nothing left to play for this season, but a little bit respect, and we thought that was our best chance to win the game but it's not it's just a load of nonsense so i just i'm like i'm not believing the the absolute spin that's coming out of the jets organization i just don't believe it i just don't believe it anyway well, mr I mean, mitchell basically the, the new york post because i've just i've just been reading it basically it is on the side of the jets and say it's a dumb call there was no interference from gase because he's got no control over the defensive calls whatsoever how bad a call was it for those who haven't seen it Greg Williams has been ripped by Rex Ryan <laughs> to call it the dumbest call ever. So that gives you a rough idea of where you are. Now, it's been called a shocking game, costing caught. If he'd actually blitzed and he'd hit him, it would have been seen as a genius. I do go back to the play before in which they should have lost the game there and then, and we're not talking about the call. He, you know, he was thinking, why, why the hell not? Let's go for it. I wouldn't have done it, but then again, he decided to do it. He always thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. He, he did that with the Saints. He blitzed a lot with the Saints. He blitzed a lot with the Rams. But somebody kindly pointed out they had fairly decent players at the time. They didn't have what the Jets had on the field. Indeed. <laughs> Which wasn't an awful lot. Right, okay. So let's move on and let's have a little chat about the playoff picture because things have uh, changed. Hang on, oh, hang, on. Oh, oh. Hang, hang on, hang on. Oh, yeah, on, you hang, never hang, give hang. your... No, no. We've got ball bags and I have a particular ball bag that I want to call out this week um, for continuing to stir the pot on WhatsApp and on Twitter without any modesty whatsoever <laughs> about his magnificent fantasy team performance and pick'em seasons thus far. I nominate Cameron Hobbs as ball bag of the week. Paul. Well, as a former winner, Cameron Hobbs, you're nominating, you know, so it'd be unusual for somebody apart from Antonio Brown to win it uh, <laughs> twice in the same year. But I think we might have to start calling it the Cameron Hobbs Ball Bag Award. Well, I think you, you can't, you cannot be called a ball bag for just, stating facts. Just to facts put this into facts. context, just to put this into context, because I was listening to last week's show and you were chirping away about the fact that you were in seventh place in the. Bonnie Scotland. Still in seventh. Order. Still in seventh. So, yeah. So, oh, good for you. Lucky <laughs> you. Um, and my first question when I heard that was, what happens if he wins the league? Yeah. Because then that that means that he gets free entry to the NFL Scotland Fantasy League, which he runs. Yeah. So will he have uh, two teams in the league next year? Yeah. Now I don't run the league. The commissioner for the league is Ali. Uh, who we know that plays cricket for Scotland. You know, Ali is the commissioner of the league. I'm just a, I'm just a communicator of the facts. Um, you know, I'm the PR man for the league rather than the actual person that runs it. So I think the in that Malcolm situation, Tucker of the league, the right, Malcolm okay, Tucker. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> um, I think in this, let's let's decide this right now. If one of us, because Paul's only two behind me, Paul's only two bits behind me. He's not either running. He's just not and. Don't even think for a second that if this was the other way around, we wouldn't be hearing all about it. The only difference is we'll just be suggesting that it's his son that does his picks for him as well as his fantasy team. So, you know, that's that's the downside Paul's got. Um, if if one of us wins, then I think what we do is we 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 get to pick who we bring into the league. I think that it's as simple as that. Um I well, I'm nominating. We we ask Greg Williams because he's not doing a lot else at the moment. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's give it. Yeah, absolutely. Get him. Get get. You wait until his fantasy draft, and he just picks all sorts of random defensive players who, yep. yeah, which nobody else heard of. The um the fantasy league still be Ian's team. What, uh, <laughs> yes, that's very true. The the fantasy league um 
obviously the WhatsApp chat has been flying this week because there's only one week to go until the playoffs. Yep. And Mr. Modest, of course, has already um, proved that he's, you know, and pointed out that he's already in the playoffs and, and then tried to uh, placate my, my, an- he tried to placate my annoyance by going, oh, Charles, you did very well after losing the first two games of the season and you're in the playoffs. I actually lost the first three games of the season. I was rock bottom of the league. And so, so I was giving you a compliment. I thought ah, that was yeah, a great okay. comeback. Don't you worry. And do you know, Paul, I have to say, I don't know what you, about you and I don't know about your, your manager, Adam, what he thinks about this, but the fact that um, Cameron has managed to negotiate a system whereby he he has the top five scoring players in the league in his team there's almost no way he cannot win his fantasy league now that's extraordinary how he's traded and managed to manipulate his way to this situation that is not i've got a question before you go any further has anybody seen ali in the last three months is he being held hostage somewhere (laughs) can we get confirmation that he's still with us and that you know he's not locked in cameron's basement or something like that 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 would be that would be the questions to be asked but there is slightly dodgy communication timing i know cameron does it with the best of intent and you know he always does it when he's got time to do these things it just happens to coincide when he's doing really well ball bag ball bag (laughs) now Fine, but I'm going to stock this fire because for those that we don't obviously share much about the fantasy league, but what we will tell you is before we came into this, there's 12 people in this league if you haven't been following it. It's the the six of us in the NFL Scotland team, which has been fascinating because if you look at the table, we are pretty much at opposite ends of that. So we've got Ian's out right bottom. You've got Gordon's second bottom. Then it's Ali Evans is above that. Uh, Brian Dandel, who's the current pick king of Scotland and won the place. He's currently sitting in ninth place. Jamie Borthwick is in eighth. Then we've got Stevie May, who plays for St. Johnston in seventh. Gary Miller, who plays for Falkirk in sixth. We've got Paul and Adam Mitchell in fifth. We've got Henry Purgos, who plays for Edinburgh Rugby in fourth. We've got you, Charles, in third, with the same record as me, so, you know, the only difference there is on points scored. Uh, but sitting the top is former Scottish Claymore, Scott Cooper. Who, Quite rightly. And, and, and He's the only one that knows anything about this sport. Well, I was just gonna, he knows stuff about the sport. But before we came into this, the two people that flagged out of the 12 of us that they'd never played fantasy football were Scott Cooper and Charles Patterson. So, you know, two guys playing it for the first time. And I genuinely was giving you credit. But here's the thing, right? So Paul Mitchell's sitting in fifth. Charles, you're sitting in third. You play Paul this week. If you beat Paul, Paul is out of the playoffs. If Paul beats you then he could knock Henry Pergos out if I beat Henry Pergos. So you've got... We could rig this. This is a big week. This is a big week between you two. So it's got nothing to do with me. I play Henry Pergos, right? We're just getting on with our thing. You two are playing each other. And this is where it gets interesting as well because depending on the outcome, Charles, you could still win the overall league, right? So you could finish above Scott. If Scott Cooper loses and you outscore... Scott by five, and I lose to Henry, then actually Henry's in, and you play Henry, who's the easiest team in theory to play. So you want to win, you want us to lose, so you get a better round. But you could Cameron, lose. you've clearly not been doing any work this week, the fact that you've worked all this out. <laughs> this is, listen, this is the, the day job has gone down the toilet. I'm... Oh, this, this was all, <laughs> oh, poor, poor listeners having to listen to this absolute crap. I only mentioned the fact that you were a ball bag for not being modest, but so, there we go. It's all we'll to see be played how it pans for. Out. It's all to be played for. Right, okay, actual playoffs. So let's move on to that um, because the story has changed a little bit. It's really interesting. Obviously, there's two teams have clinched. The Chiefs have clinched and the Saints have clinched. Mm. The Saints obviously sitting in number one one for the NFC side of things. The Chiefs currently sitting in second for the AFC, even though the Steelers and them have the same record. Steelers still sitting at number one. Really interesting game this weekend, though, because the Steelers play the Bills. Bills, with a great performance against the Niners, really decimated us in uh, Josh Allen, finding form once again. But that's a fascinating game because the Bills are in form. The Steelers have just been beaten. Obviously, if the Steelers lose, the Chiefs win. Uh, then that means the Bills get closer. And actually, the Bills are very much in that conversation, potentially, to to get a number one or a number two slot, which would be really big for them. You look then into some of the other areas. Obviously, the Titans with a one-game lead. In fact, no, they're not. Sorry, they're tied with Colts, both on eight and four. You've got the Browns on nine and three. You've got the Dolphins on eight and four, and they're making up the wildcard teams. You've got the Raiders and the Ravens on seven and five. And the Patriots are not out of this. It's six and six. So there's a lot. I mean, it's they're probably not going to make it, but 
they're not out of it by any shape of the imagination. Um, it's a really fascinating conversation on the AFC side. There's a lot to be sorted out there. So let, let's play a game. Um, as we approach Christmas, it's always good to have a party game. Let's play hot or not, NFL style. Right. Contenders or pretenders? Now, you mentioned that the Saints and the Chiefs are in, and there's no questions asked. They are Super Bowl contenders. Yeah. Absolutely. Even with Taysom um, Hill. I, yeah, well, we'll get back to him later at some point. He, the, he's, the grin is getting wider as we approach Christmas. Um, I am going to also throw the Packers into the mix because they're looking unstoppable. And I'm not saying that just because I'm a massive cheesehead. But if we put those three teams aside and say that they are genuine Super Bowl contenders, I think the rest of them are massive question marks. So let's play hot or not. And you can say yes or no. And I'm going to start with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Are they hot or are they not? They need a running back. If they get James Conner back, I think they're hot. I think the lack of running back was a big factor in the last couple of games. Um, I think if they get James Conner back, it gives them an outlet that's viable if the wide receivers are dropping balls left, right, and center. I think that against Washington, Washington played big D. Uh, they played really strong and they played well. Ben's carrying a slight niggly injury on his knee as well. There was no output through the running back because that lane was stopped. I think James Conner comes back. I think the Steelers are a contender. Paul, come on. I'll be controversial then and say no. Oh. Um, I think there's too many weaknesses. I, I don't think they have an outstanding receiving core. I think they've got a decent receiving core. And I think Cameron's hit the you know, the nail on the head. I don't think they've got a strong enough running game at the moment. And if we've seen running, you know, to be successful, you've got to have a decent running game. The advantage to the Steelers is they are exceptionally well coached. Mike Tomlin's as good as in there. And I think they could overcome these things. And, and that's why they're sitting on 11-1. But if you're talking playing, you know, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Titans in a one-off in a playoff game, I would worry for the Steelers. Not Super Bowl contenders for me. I don't think now. Okay. I think that they've um, they're struggling because they've uh, they didn't get a bye either. They they lost their bye back in week three. I think they're on their knees. I think so, this, this game against the Bills a biggie. If they can come yeah. back and show character and win and win well, I think it says a lot about them as a franchise and where they're at. I think if they really struggle here and they continue to trend down the way, then that's where it starts to get dangerous for them. Well, you mentioned the Bills. Are the Bills at 9-3, and three, top of the AFC East, are they a genuine Super Bowl contender? Can they knock off the Chiefs? Yes. Yeah, I yeah. think so. I think they could. They could. I think They're it takes hot. a lot. I think it takes a lot for them to do it, but I think that they've got the right element there. They've got enough of an offensive threat to threaten the Chiefs, whose defense is good without being sensational. And I think that Josh Allen on his day can absolutely do damage to Kansas City. Absolutely. So therefore, on that basis, yes, I would say a similar thing, though. I think the run game's weak. I think that Singletary and Moss have just not quite delivered. Singletary's slightly too small to be that every down back. And Zach Moss, just a couple of handling issues, maybe not quite had the season that we thought he would. Uh, I think that, you know, they obviously lean on Allen to do a lot of that running, and that's not something you want to necessarily do. I think, especially in the postseason, I'm always wary of, uh, you know, teams that have to rely too heavily on their quarterback doing a lot of the running because you stop that, and you can stop them. We saw it with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson last year. Figure out a way to stop that. You can pretty much stem that team. There's assets. Diggs has had a huge season. Cole Beasley. Um, I forget the name of the young wide receiver that wears number 13 that ripped us to shreds last night. It was wide open. <laughs> Davis, I Gabriel think. Davis. Gabriel Davis, that's it, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then they've obviously got Dawson Knox, who was a big, um, big, powerful tight end as well. So a lot to like about the Buffalo Bills, and I think they're a contender. I think the Bills can beat the Chiefs in, in the playoffs. I think they can reach the Super Bowl. I think they're good enough. Okay. What about, you mentioned the Ravens, who everybody thought were the best team in the AFC, bar the Chiefs, coming into the season. Seven and five. Baltimore Ravens, soft, of course. <laughs> very, very soft. But their schedule's tasty for the next four weeks. They only have to face the Browns, and then they've got a walkover for the next three weeks after that. Can the Ravens get to the Super Bowl? I say no, but... I say but yes. 
I, I think you know they, they've not turned into a bad team. They're well coached, they're well organised. They've disappointed at times this season. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I mean, Lamar Jackson does have that slight bit of magic about him. I, I get tired of the narrative that he can't win the big game. Um, you know, and we might hear that again this week when when they play Cleveland. It wouldn't surprise me if they beat Cleveland. Wouldn't surprise me if they beat Cleveland easily. You know, they are that kind of team that can do it. I mean, they ran all over Dallas, but most teams do. Um, and that, you know, Lamar Jackson coming off, you know, the illness and, and things like that. So, yeah, I, th- I think they are capable. I think I, w- I would put them down as a contender, not a pretender. COVID's been massively disruptive for them. And I think that, you know, it it, it has had a huge impact. I think that this will be interesting. It's a massive game against the Browns. I think it's really telling. Uh, if they can beat the Browns, that's a massive victory. And then the rest of the schedule almost doesn't matter from that point. If they win out, they win out. They've done that big game and therefore that's put them in a good place. They they can be a contender, but I think that they need to show that they've fully bounced back from COVID, that everyone's back healthy, that nobody's got any lingering side effects. You know, we, we were hearing about Miles Garrett coming back and he'd said that COVID had really impacted him uh, a lot more than he thought it would. Therefore, you're kind of resting on the fact that everyone comes back fully fit and ready to go. There was a lot of them were impacted by it. And then even the situation with Des Bryant as well, which was a weird one, felt a little bit of a shame to be denied the opportunity for Des to come out in that revenge game against the Cowboys. We all love a revenge game. Um, but So they can be, but I think that it's the, the next two weeks for me is going to be very, very telling. The Ravens are 7-5. and five. There are three teams ahead of them, 8-4. and four. Tennessee, Miami, Indianapolis. Are any of them viable Super Bowl contenders? Hmm. I say the only one out of those three is Tennessee. I think Tennessee's defense will will be their undoing. Uh, The Colts have got a good defense, but they've got an erratic offense. Hmm. um, And that could be their downfall. Miami, a couple of seasons too early for them. I mean, I do, you don't imagine Tua as a as a first year starter, no. you know, leading them to the Super Bowl. I've seen nothing so, out of Tua to see any kind of great post. Not on his shoulders, anyway. Yeah, if it yeah. happens, it's on the defense. Would Brian Flores? Would he, if they get in the playoffs, do you think he'd start Fitzpatrick? Because you're in, you're in the you're in the ball game, you're at the dance. So put the best guy in the in in into the field. I think you, you, you put two out there because you give them the experience of postseason football and you give them the experience of losing in postseason to give them the hunger to come back and win next time. So I think there's an opportunity there to to put the rocket fuel under your quarterback by getting a small taste of what postseason is like. But next year, we're coming back and we're going to go and win. We're going to be a contender at this point rather than just be at the dance. And I think that you would garner more by putting that on tour than you would on Fitzpatrick. But absolutely, I mean, I think I think it's a viable conversation because I think your chances of winning are much greater under Fitzpatrick. It's just whether or not winning right now is what matters to them or whether they are absolutely, you know, we're dedicated to growth of our quarterback and our young team. If that's the case, then I think it's Tua every single day. The only other AFC contender, and we've touched on them, hilariously, <laughs> is the Browns. Hilariously. The Brownies are in the conversation. They're nine and three. They could win the AFC North, which is ridiculous considering how rank rotten they've been. And we all have a little bit of a, a soft spot for them because of Jamie Gillen. Yeah. Can the Browns get to the Super Bowl? I don't think they can if they're not all fit. If everybody is fit on the defense and everything clicks, I think that they could certainly win a round or two. I don't think they can beat the Chiefs. I'll I'll kick off on this one. They're the Paul benchmark. On. Yeah, I I think the Browns can. All right, I think the Browns can be a contender. But uh, here's a couple of odd general observations, and it's pure gut feel. This right, I've not got numbers. I'm sure Gordon would be able to shoot me down with some facts. It tells me I'm talking absolute pish. But I feel like since Odell Beckham's got injured, the Browns have been better on offense because he is not that target that Baker feels he needs to find. I think that they've 
spread the ball around a lot more. I think that Jarvis Landry stepped up. I think you've seen the other receivers step up. You've also got Nick Chubb back in that backfield. So what you've got is you've got one of the best running backs in the game that's been out through injury, but not such a bad injury that he's coming in and having to build up a load of fitness. He's got up to speed pretty quick. And you can see already the massive impact he's having. They're not having to lean on Kareem Hunt and they've still got Hunt in that backfield. There is an awful lot to like there. I think where they possibly fall down is rabbit in the headlights. And the baker in the headlights, if he panics, again, on the defense, if they come up against a good team and that other team's dropping a lot of points on them, how do they grab the game by the scruff of the neck and turn it around? And I think that's the character that I want to see from the Browns for them to truly be a contender for this year's Super Bowl. And I think that is another one for them. They've not been in the postseason. There's not many of these guys have played in the postseason. So it's a similar sort of thing. This year is, if they don't do particularly well, they have to use that to get back next year and be one of the top contenders. Um, but I genuinely think they could they could make it to the championship game if the, the, the sort of schedule falls nicely for them. They've got a lot of players that have played four-plus years in the league. They've got a lot of players who were drafted high. I think they've got the talent pool to do it. What's been missing has been the coaching. And yeah, I think I think they are capable because of the talent that is around. Might be a year too early if Stefanski's trying to get them, you know, all together and exactly where he wants them to be. But there's a lot of high quality players in there. A couple of the rookies this year have made a little bit of a difference, but you know, actually you look at their, their lineup, they've got a, a little bit of depth. They didn't fall off a cliff when Chubb went out, for example. Um, you know, you know, Kareem Hunt is in there that, that can do that. They've got a little bit of, of players. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's a lot to be said. There's a lot high round draft picks kicking around there. So, yeah, I think they've got the talent to do it. I don't believe beyond those teams we've mentioned that there is a contender. I think the Raiders are false. God, they're, they're a Greg Williams cock up away from being six and six. And New England are too far back. I think you're going to need to win 10 games to get into the AFC playoffs. So I think we've covered them all. I, you've, the benchmark's the Chiefs. Oh, yeah. If you can't, if you've got to be able to prove that you can beat the Chiefs and contend with the Chiefs. And ironically, the only team that's beaten them this year is the Raiders. And I think the Raiders are going to miss out on the playoffs. <laughs> and if they were in the playoffs and playing Kansas City, then that, I think, would cause the Chiefs concern. But... Yeah, I think there's maybe two teams in there, three teams that could beat them uh, in the AFC playoffs. What about the NFC? If we're talking about the Saints as the benchmark, as the number one seed, and maybe the Packers might take the, the one seed, then you look at the rest of them. I think that the, the, the field is thinner. Let's look at the NFC West. Seattle and Los Angeles are both eight and four. Are they contenders or pretenders? I say only one of them is a contender, and I think it's the Rams. So I think Seattle is a contender because of their offense. Their defense is a problem, but if their offense can find rhythm on the day, they can beat anyone on the NFC side. They can. They can beat anybody purely by outscoring them. And I think if Russell Wilson is in the groove and his receivers are, and they've got their running backs back and fit, then I think on offense they can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with any of these teams and score enough points to be in a game. But... I guess, yeah, the point there is they've got to keep rolling that dice and they've got to keep leaning on it. The defense has definitely stepped up. It's a little bit better. Jamal Adams is a, is a big pickup for them. He's not enough to completely turn that defense around, but it is definitely better. Uh, that was a tough game against the Giants. Interesting as well at the moment, the way that the, the layout is, you know, the, the Seahawks are in the fifth seed, which is top of the wild cards. And of course, the Giants are the bottom placed uh, divisional winner. So actually... If it was to end now, and I do hate these conversations, but still, it's relevant. If it was to end now, the Giants would be hosting the Seahawks, um, if that's the way it was to go now. So you would have the 8-4 and four Seahawks going to the 5-7 and seven New York Giants, um, who've just beaten them. And based on that, you would probably fancy the Giants now. I'm going to take this slightly off on a tangent. We got a comment on Twitter this week, Paul, that we were overly... Uh, snidey and derogatory about the NFC East last week. Now you snidey. No. Can I just check when you say we? Uh, you, me, and Gordon were the people on that podcast, so we're all the, the, nobody was <laughs> nobody was singled out. Now you're saying Gordon, that, okay? He's not even here to defend. Himself. No, I know, but I'm just going to say, like, 
We, of course we were, right? Because it's terrible. We could, in theory, have the worst ever divisional winner going into the postseason. Yes, there's a lot of negative stuff to say. They've turned it around this week because the Giants and Washington have had great wins. I did say last week, and we put a burger bet on it, I've got an NFC East team making it to the divisional rounds for sure. Uh, and we've got a burger on that. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's I, I can see that happening. I, it could be the Giants or it could be Washington. The way that they're playing at the moment, and they've won six straight... Um, They've not won six straight. Um, they've won five straight, have they not? They, they've been doing well. But can I just say, I think it typifies the sport and why why we like it. You know, people can disagree with us and do so. and But they do so reasonably nicely. Yes. You know, you, you try that in, in the other football. Um, yes. You know, <laughs> uh, you know I, I, I tweeted about Celtic about 10 days ago, and I'm still upsetting about people it. As, as a result of that. So Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I mean, we're we're all around opinions. The other thing um, is that I'm sorry, nobody thought the Giants were going to beat Seattle. No. Certainly not with Colt McCoy there. I think if I looked at the pickums, you know, it was about one percent or two percent of people picked. So you know, we weren't alone. But that's the joy of the sport is that teams can go in and do that. You know, it's the old every dog has his day and. You know the, the the Giants have their day. Their defense is suddenly looking like it's it's not too bad. Now, if you look at what Flores has done in Miami, if you look at what Judge has done, it can take up to about ten games for you to get across what you're trying to do. So the Giants are starting to develop. There's still a serious lack of talent in many parts of their team. I don't think we can deny that. I don't think Giants fans would deny that either. But you know, there's there's little seeds. We all thought Washington would be arguably the worst team in the NFC, you know, and they've shown that they're, they're capable. They've gone and burst yeah. uh, the Pittsburgh bubble, you know, so it, it just goes to show you, you can't tell. And I think that's why so many people love this sport, given the fact that, you know, the Scottish Premier League, the English Premier League, and a lot of the, you know, the football leagues across Europe are dull and predictable at certain times in terms of who's going to win and things like that. You know, in Scotland, you know, it's a little bit different, you know, places basically, you know, three down is quite interesting. But this is why, you know, we get great upsets like this. And I think that's what makes it entertaining. So are the NFC East hot or not? No, I mean, they're not hot. But can I just, can I just say, you know... They're icy cold, really. I, I was writing this down just before, as you were asking the question, and I put the same word beside Seattle as, as, as Cameron um, talked about. They can outscore anyone. And you know they might have a horrible defense, but they they can they can stick the points on anyone. And if they're good, that's what makes them a threat. Is the simple fact that they can hit points and they can hit them quickly. So I look I at them. So. Sorry, I look at them. And another team you're going to mention in this conversation is the Buccaneers, right? And I look at them against the Bucks, who are a lot of people's favorites. And I'm thinking, if the Bucks have to go into Seattle, can Seattle beat the Buccaneers? Absolutely, they can. Absolutely, they can. There's, there is no two ways about that. Um, Seattle are not going to have to go to New Orleans, I don't think. I don't think there's any scenario. I think that the two games difference is big enough that that's not going to be overturned. I think that the Saints is maybe the one sticking point in Seattle, the Saints in New Orleans, especially if fans are back in the Dome at that point. And I guess there's going to be a real push to try and get people back when it comes to the postseason. Um, but I look at that list and Seattle can beat any one of them. Can beat any one of them. I think that's New Orleans is the only one that they look at and go, it's doable, but geez, it's a big old task. There's nobody else on that list that I think, do you know what, on their day, they can outsling. They can outsling the Packers. The Packers would be doing it back. That would be an absolute shootout. But we've seen these two teams come up against each other in the postseason a lot. And actually, that's it's just a, it's a slinging match, that, between those two. And it comes down to Rodgers and Wilson. And, of course, Wilson could come up on the right side of that. I see that one as being quite... Quite close. Don't buy that. Quite no, close. Don't buy that because they met in the playoffs last year and the difference was the Green Bay pass rush. And Green Bay have got a pass rush, albeit it's not brilliant. Seattle have got nothing. They've got no pass rush to speak of. Okay. And Seattle's offense is the problem now. That's been the problem in the last three weeks. So I don't. I think they're pretenders. I don't think that they are... They're not going to win the division. I think they're going to be a wild card. I think they're going to be a dangerous wild card. Um, and if you are... Ultimately, if you're the number three or four seed, you're going to be facing Seattle in all likelihood. And I think that that's going to be a problem for you, especially if you are in, if you are New York or Washington, if you win the NFC East um, or the NFC West team 
the other NFC West team, um, Los Angeles. I think Los Angeles are a contender, and I think Los Angeles can beat the Saints and beat the Packers because of their defense. Mm. Because they've got a shutdown corner in Jalen Ramsey, because they've got Aaron Donald, who's just a game wrecker across the board, and because Jared Goff has once or twice shown that he can actually manage a game and throw to his receivers. I mean, there was one a couple of weeks ago in Tampa, and they destroyed Tampa Bay. They destroyed Tampa Bay, and they, I think Robert Woods and Cooper Cup had like 23 or 24 receptions between the two of them. So Los Angeles on their day absolutely can be anyone in the NFC. I don't think there's any question about it. Um, but I think Seattle are pretenders. I mentioned the NFC East. I think, it would, frankly, pigs will fly and snow will fall in July if either New York or Washington get to the Super Bowl. But Washington have proved that a good defense can shut down a good offense. And New York have done the same thing. They've both done it in the same in the same weekend. And you know, that's what football in January is about. So, you know, I, th- I don't know which um, deluded individual on this podcast predicted that an NFC East team might win a playoff game, but I think that they could. Yeah, it was you. That was always going to be you, Cam. Um, <laughs> I, I think there's any, yeah. I think Washington and New York are both playing really, really well at the moment. They're both playing decent quality football, and whoever wins that division is going to host a playoff game. One of them, I think, is perfectly capable of winning a playoff game. I, I think that it's going to... See, I think that the Seahawks might get in as divisional winner and that the Rams end up as the top wildcard team. The reason that I'm thinking that is Seattle's running from here is super easy. Like, it's super, super easy. So um, it's it's an interesting one. Um, yeah, surely the Jets don't get their one win of the season against Seattle. I just don't believe that for a second. But it's, it's, it's fascinating. And I do think that anybody can be anybody. Just imagine, Charles. I, I can't... I, I don't know whether to be giddy with excitement about this or not, but imagine the scene if LA Rams go into the Dome again and beat the Saints again in the championship game. I mean, oft. They are soft. So let's be honest, there's every chance. I mean, it's, it would be a classic Saints January uh, collapse. Do you, you know how it gets you done? You just have to look. You just have to look. If 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 the Rams can bring with them their key side judge, anything's possible. <laughs> uh, we're presu- we're presuming that this is a this is a divisional round game and not the championship game because Green Bay are going to be the one seed, of course. Good point. It's a good point. Uh, I think as well. If if the do, two of them do come head to head, I'm calling this now, right? Uh, the the Saints are going to lose because in the final drive there's going to be a no call on roughing the passer as Aaron Donald smashes whichever one of the quarterbacks is currently playing for or tight ends is playing for um, New Orleans at the time and I, I just Mr. Mitchell Mr. Mitchell may quit this podcast that is a is a serious risk we'll have to put an insurance policy out on this one um, so he may, he may the toys may come right out the pram and we may never see him again in the context of an NFL conversation. It might be too much. There are two. There are two teams that we haven't discussed. I'm yep. going to stop Paul from imploding at this point. <laughs> um, we, you touched on Tampa. The yep. only other team that could make a run, and I want to know whether you think that they're good enough, is Minnesota, six and six, with a decent run in. They play Chicago and Detroit, so there's two wins right there. Um, can Tampa get to the Super Bowl, and can Minnesota? reach the championship game or the Super Bowl. So I'm sure Gordon said at the weekend, no team has ever played in a Super Bowl that's hosted in their own stadium. So I believe if Tampa do it, they'd be the first team ever to do it. Can they do it? Of course they can, because Brady is the one person in the postseason that you want to have there. He's been and done it. He's got the experience. Will they do it? They're not good enough, in my view. I, I think that it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot. They're going to play week after week against good teams, and I haven't seen this continuous good form coming out of them. Um, I don't. I certainly don't think they beat the Chiefs in, in the Super Bowl if they make it. If it's if it's a Tampa Chief, uh, if it's Tampa Bay versus Kansas City, I don't see the Bucks beating the Chiefs at all, even at home. Um, but yeah, Mr. Mitchell, they're your close friends. I've watched them twice. I mean, they've got a decent defence. If they use Brady correctly, and Brady's not been as bad in some games as people think, and he's not been as great in other games, he would go in that class of competent quarterback. He's a different animal in the postseason. 
And I think if they get there, they're a threat to anybody. I'm just not convinced they're necessarily going to get there. Now, Cameron, you called the Vikings a few weeks ago when we were talking about, you know, when we were toasting teams, you know, whether they were done for the season or not. You said that they they were an outside danger. And sure enough, you know, they've come to six and six. Now, I'm thrilled for them because they come to the Dome on Christmas Day. Uh, and I just wanted them to have something to play for. So when we beat them, it makes it all the sweeter to watch. So, because I knew we'd already be qualified. You know, that's just the way it goes. But Jameis might it, play that game as a special Christmas present to you. That's a double whammy. Jameis to play on Christmas Day and then to lose to the Rams in the postseason. Oof! Oh, 2020 might be, oh, I don't know, it might be back in play. Brilliant. I'd need, need to come and borrow the, the Patrick <laughs> Mahomes memorial telly because I'll put my foot through mine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they, they are a threat. Are they good enough? I don't think so. But, I mean, every team that's in, you know, the top that we've talked about, what we're trying to talk about here is, do we think they can go on and win the Super Bowl? It's not just a question, as Charles, you know, as Charles outlined. It's about winning the Super Bowl and getting there. I don't think the Vikings can do that, and I don't think the Buccaneers can do that. The Vikings have been scraping the wins is the the, the big issue here. Even against the Jags, that was <laughs> it was hard work for them. Um, and they keep scraping victories, and they can't keep doing it. Their schedule is in their favour for sure they may well make the postseason but and, and when you get into the postseason all it takes is a couple of good results Dalvin Cook is one of the best at his position Adam Thielen's brilliant Justin Jefferson we talked about earlier on great rookie season from him there's I just don't think there's enough talent there for them to be any kind of threat all the way to the Super Bowl um, I think that Kirk Cousins is the problem as well I just don't think he's good enough to do it but I think they are good enough to make it into that postseason picture for sure all right. Well, I think that is a full-time whistle for episode 127. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Share your thoughts on Twitter at ScotlandNFL and search for us on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. Some great games coming up in the week ahead, starting with the Patriots, Rams, going all the way through to the Ravens and Browns. We'll be back next week to talk more American football, to talk about the slate of games and your more ball bags, belters and bouffants. From us all on the NFL Scotland podcast, Bye for now.